Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome in, Boston sports fans everywhere. Episode 9 of Boston's Big Four in the Believe Podcast Network. Home base for all things Boston sports for the fans of the City of Champions, where their sports business is a 24-7, 365-day-a-year passion. You can find the show on Apple, Spotify, and Google. New releases every single Tuesday. Our social media platforms are up and running. All the information for those are up on the website, Believe.com, spelled B-L-E-A-V. I'm your host, Stephen Ace Norman, as I'm sure you probably know by now. So we have Super Bowl week here, a lot of football talk on tap. Uh, Josh McDaniels, Dave Ziegler departures. We didn't get to those last week because Tom Brady uh, and the pettiness that has been the last week of Tom Brady and Robert Kraft and that whole Michigas has gone on and took our attention in a different direction. But I do want to talk about the departures of Josh McDaniels and Dave Ziegler now over a week old. How do the Patriots fill those voids? How big of a loss are those two from the organization? I also want to give you a Celtics minute as the trade deadline is two days away. Give you the latest take on the Celtics, the now sizzling Celtics, and give you a, you know, a rethought out plan of attack for this organization here as they go into a very pivotal time in their season. But I am going to start on the strip that being Las Vegas with the Raiders requesting, then interviewing, then offering, then announcing Josh McDaniels and Dave Ziegler as the next head coach and GM there with the Raiders. And after years of Josh McDaniels being ultra-selective, ultra picky, if you would. He finally takes a job there in Vegas with Mark Davis, who during the introductory press conference, I had trouble even taking serious with his ridiculous haircut. And he sounded like he had almost ran up a flight of stairs out of breath, heavy breathing, just to get to the podium. So, I mean, it was kind of goofy just listening to him, but that introductory press conference happened. It always sounds like a Hall of Fame acceptance speech or a valedictorian speech at a high school. But you knew that Josh was seriously contemplating moving on from the Patriots this time, passing up the Colts job and getting off the plane in the 18th hour to go back to Foxborough, meet with the Crafts and finalize an agreement to stay as the offensive coordinator. And this time around, Josh putting together a staff quietly, not being openly offered or requested for a position until really Vegas had gone through all their other candidates and saying, yep, Josh is still our go-to guy. Dave Ziegler had been interviewed a week before, and you knew that it was about to happen. I I knew it as soon as I heard he was going to interview that he was going to take that job. Because you wouldn't have heard a peep about it if Josh wasn't interested. He wouldn't be putting together a staff. He wouldn't have even taken the interview. Because it had been put out there that he was only taking interviews and only being asked for interviews that teams knew he was actually willing to take and wanted to take. And good for Josh. He finds a situation that in Vegas he feels like he can fit in. And we can agree, disagree about how good of a position that is. 
and how excited he should be about that under an owner that is a little bit off and a little bit goofy. But Davis himself wouldn't have passed up the chance to sign McDaniels, the shiny car and the dealer. So this time around for Josh, it's very different than last time. I expect him to be more of himself. He was 32 years old when he took that position with the Denver Broncos years ago in 2009. And he tried to be Bill. He imitated Bill. It didn't work out for him. And I give Josh credit because even in his introductory press conference, he said, I've matured. I learned a lot about relationships and how to connect with players. And he basically put it all on the table. And it's not very often that you hear guys admit openly that they were wrong and didn't handle the situation the right way in the past. And he was very candid about that. So I respect that. Dave Ziegler goes along with him, a very well-respected member of the Patriots organization. For years, he came over with Josh from Denver. He had time here in the league where he's connected with a lot of people. He's very well-respected. Bill, listen to him. If you remember that last draft, they were working together and consulting each other. And it was very much more an open conversation about where the Patriots were going to select some players and who they were listening to. And it wasn't all going to be on Bill. So I want to talk about how big of a loss is Josh specifically, and we can include Dave Ziegler to the conversation. I've heard a lot of discussion over the past week and a half, two weeks, about how big of a role Josh played here in New England and how big of a loss he was. Some people that would call or text him would tell me that it's not as big of a deal as some people are making it out to be, that Josh did a good job with Mac, but that there are plenty of areas where Josh has deficiencies and flaws and they didn't love his play calling. Others have called in and said that they loved the fact that Josh was still here and now they don't feel quite as good about Mac and his growth going forward. I side more with those people. I don't think this is a good development for New England at all. I mean, you lose not one, but two key pieces, one of your front office and one who I consider to be one of the best offensive coordinators in the game, who has been a good developer of talent an innovator and has really taken over what Charlie Weiss did in this offense and made it his own. I mean, Josh was the first assistant to really take over his side of the ball. He was the head coach of the offense. And Charlie Weiss's time here and Bill O'Brien's time here, they had a lot of responsibilities, but never to the level that Josh got here in his second stint, his second go around. And it gave Bill a lot of time to tend to the defense, to tend to the special teams and focus his attention in other areas where it needed more focus on. Because yeah, don't worry about it. Josh has the offense. Josh has Mac Jones. Josh is going to integrate players in free agency and other players that come via free agency or the draft. Say whatever you want about being the offensive coordinator of the Patriots over 20 some odd years, dealing with Tom Brady, the greatest of all time, and really not having to develop another quarterback who was going to be a key piece of your offense very early on in his career. But working with Brady and integrating players that have come along, it's not the easiest job. I don't care where. And you always have eyes on you because it's New England and it's the Patriots and it's Super Bowls and it's MVPs and it's offensive this and it's offensive that. Josh's job was not a simple one here, especially the past couple years going from Cam Newton and the limitations that that player had then to Mac Jones, a rookie quarterback who you had to really feel out at the same time as feeling out new players who were brought in via free agency because you had very little in-house from previous draft debacles. 
I also think it's kind of convenient that a lot of people seem to forget that Josh was also able to bring along Matt Castle, Jimmy Garoppolo, Jacoby Brissett. They didn't necessarily light the world on fire. They're not necessarily top 10 or maybe even 15 guys, although you could make that argument a lot easier than top 10. But whatever. I think that he was a key component in those guys coming along too. And it's easy to forget and overlook because those guys aren't setting the world on fire. That was Josh. That was Josh doing that. That was Josh bringing those guys along. So say what you want, but he's done a good job in bringing along quarterbacks so that they're at least acceptable to play and win in the NFL and start in the NFL. But as it relates to Mac, I don't think it's a good thing ever. I don't care what quarterback it is to have an offensive coordinator that they're working with, that it is working, that he feels comfortable with, that they have a rapport, a connection, a relationship to move on in the next year, just right after his rookie year. That's never a positive. If you just go back and look at the film from training camp last year, Mac was attached to Josh's hip. And what you can't make up for, even if you bring in a new mind who's able to tweak some things and able to still get a lot out of Mac, it's going to take a learning period of getting used to that person, feeling them out. And that's something that you can't make up for with a new mind that might have some new ideas. I'm not saying it's something Mac can't overcome and can't get accustomed to someone new and figure out things that will still allow him to grow, but it certainly is an ideal And I'll enlighten you as I I try to do each and every week with a saying that I'm sure you've never heard before, which is, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. That's especially true with a young quarterback. Now, look, there are a lot of ways to make a team. There are a lot of elements that factor into the equation when you look at the level of success a particular team will have. And the Patriots are no different. Okay, a lot of key roles But none are more important than the progression of a quarterback. And none are more important for this Patriots team than the progression of Mac. How much he's able to continue to elevate his game. And the second year for quarterbacks specifically is a lot of times where they make that next big leap. Now, it's not always. It's not with every player in every position. And every guy takes a different path to becoming ultimately what they become. But a lot of times that second year is a critical year for a quarterback. What they were able to do in the offseason with their body, how they were able to work on their mechanics, how they were able to up their speed, up their strength, up their arm strength, all these things, put more zip on the ball, work on the flaws in their game. Now that they've had a year in the NFL to digest exactly what it's going to be like, and there's no wondering what they need to work on. They know, they've seen the holes in their game and where they can get better. And it's just easier to not have to get used to someone new when you come back to work, when you come back to work the next year and you're ready to just hit the ground running. The other aspect of watching two more employees roll out like a Michelin tire is the fact that it adds to that laundry list of experienced coaches who had an institutional knowledge of New England roll out the door in the past couple of years. Dante Scarnecchia retires. He had like a hundred years of experience. Ernie Adams, you never knew exactly what he did, but he was a Bill confidant, and you knew that he was adding something to what the Patriots were doing there in Foxborough. Nick Casario, a key cog, a key piece, and that front office goes down to Houston. Brian Flores departs for Miami. Joe Judge, we'll get to him, he goes to the Giants. Jerry Shaplinski, Chad O'Shea, Patrick Graham, who's now the defensive coordinator with, oh yeah, Josh McDaniels in Vegas, Monty Austinford. A longtime personnel man, he's gone. 
cornerbacks coach Josh Boyer rolls out the door. Defensive line coach Brendan Daly takes a lateral position somewhere else. And oh yeah, Bo Hargree leaves to go with Vegas and Josh. And oh yeah, we might as well just throw Ivan Fears on there, who Mike Reese wrote the other day, it should be only a matter of time before the longtime Patriots running back coach announces his retirement after 31 years in the NFL and 25 years with the Patriots specifically. That's a lot of names with a lot of experience, with a lot of institutional knowledge of the New England program who have the ears of Bill and also are able to handle their jobs without having to have a lot of assistance from other people. A lot of guys on that list, and there are others obviously from over the years, are some of the reasons that Bill has been able to keep his coaching staff small, promote from within, and he doesn't have to throw the younger coaches into the fire right away because those guys have people to learn under and learn from that are on the staff already handling those larger, more important jobs. I think Bill, at 70 years old here in a couple of months, is still on top of his game overall. Has he had flashes where I say, wait a minute, what is that? And that's a little conservative, Bill. And that's a little bit too, well, oh, playing it safe, really? What are we doing here? But overall, I think Bill is still on top of his game. But coaching in the NFL is about more than just one coach. Just like winning in the NFL is more than just one player. And if you look at the coaching on the Patriots the last few years here, more unforced dead ball penalties, starting games slowly, mangling substitutions, burning timeouts, getting punts blocked, the mental errors and penalties that come from either not being prepared properly or not being schooled and coached during the game properly. Either way, a large part of those mistakes fall on the coaching staff. Bill is what makes it all go. There's no doubting that, okay? He's the engine. He's the driver. He's whatever you want to call him. He does multiple things. But he doesn't do it all by himself, and he can't do it all by himself. No one can. Too much responsibility, too many jobs. Player development is critical. I don't care what team you are, what organization, what system you run, or any of that. Player development is always important. But for this team that's going to rely on younger players continuing to develop and also drilling into those free agents from last season, what it is to work here and what details and how to prepare is more important than it has been to this team in a long time. It's a crucial element right now, especially because Big Buck Bill is going to have to holster RKK's checkbook for this season and build from the draft and lesser free agents. Because that spending spree that Bill had last year at his ready to build this team back up, that's not there this year. And he's going to have to do it a different way. So how does Bill go about filling that OC void? He likes to usually promote from within house. Nick Cayley, Mick Lombardi, two names that have been thrown out there. Neither one with experience calling plays and running an offense. You have another name out there, which is like the shiny object for a lot of fans, myself included, Bill O'Brien, a guy who spent time here from 07 to 2011, served as the offensive coordinator de facto one for a couple of years before getting the title finally in 2011, was an innovator here in his own right with the two tight end set where he was the architect of the Gronk Hernandez package there, if you will. And he's a guy that, you know, you want to talk about hiring from within. Bringing back Bill O'Brien is basically hiring from within, except you get a guy that has had head coaching experience at the pro level, also been a head coach in college. He's been at Alabama this past year, so he's acclimated himself with some of that new spread offense. He can bring a little something to what is already a, a system here in New England that's not going to change. He knows the verbiage. 
He's a smart guy. He speaks that language. That would have been, for me, the perfect candidate. No better candidate than Bill O'Brien for the job. You add the little cherry on top that there is some relationship with Mac Jones and Bill O'Brien crossing over in their time going and leaving Alabama. Mac Jones tutored Bill O'Brien in Nick Saban's Alabama offense, which stays the same no matter what coordinator is there. Bill O'Brien's a guy that brings back some of that continuity that you lose with Josh McDaniels moving on because he knows Bill, he knows the system, he knows the organization, and he knows the offense. He's ran the offense at a high level. Brady was MVP in 2010. Now, was that Bill O'Brien? No, not solely. But a lot of what he did and implemented during that season helped Brady ascend to that MVP level that year and have that success. Point blank, there's not a better or more obvious name to fill that void that continues that fluency of the Patriots language in with that massive responsibility of continuing to develop and keep on track the team's most important investment. Which brings us to today. And the tweet that I read that was out there right before I started recording that read this from Burt Breer of SI.com. The Patriots are working on a deal to bring back ex-Giants coach Joe Judge as an offensive assistant per sources expected to get done in the coming days. Reading that grossed me out. I mean, this is bad, bad news. It really puts an absolute body blow to the idea of Bill O'Brien coming back. Belichick's not hiring back and bringing back Joe Judge along with Bill O'Brien, two guys who have both been head coaches, two guys who would be fighting, I believe, for power within that offense. That's not going to happen now. They're not going to share duties of offensive play calling or structuring an offense with Joe Judge and Bill O'Brien. I just don't see that happening. Hopefully I'm wrong, but I don't see that happening. So what does it really mean? It means that instead of naming an offensive coordinator, the Patriots are going to do the same thing they've done with their defense, which is a de facto offensive play caller, which is going to be Joe Judge. And they're going to promote Nick Cayley or Mick Lombardi, either one of those names from within to have responsibilities shaping the offense. It means instead of bringing in a guy to run the offense who has experience, who has been successful at play calling, you're bringing back Joe Judge, who in 2019, before he left, worked with the wide receiver, so he has some experience on that side of the ball. Don't worry about it. We're not going to bring in someone who I don't know is tried and true or proven. No, no, we'll bring back our buddy. We'll bring back another one of our friends because he's out there on the scrap heap. No one else is going to pick him up as far as play calling ability and functioning as an offensive coordinator. No, 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 no. They're not going to do that because no one in their right mind would do that with Joe Judge right now. The other name that was out there is Adam Gase. Now, did I like Adam Gase? No, not at all. I think that he was an abject failure in Miami and New York and did not bring along Ryan Tannehill or Sam Darnold. But I trust that guy calling plays and bringing along a quarterback, believe it or not, more than I do Joe Judge, at least Adam Gase has Peyton Manning as a backer of him in, in, in Denver when Manning had him as an offensive coordinator, and at least there was some success there. Now, was that probably more Manning? Yeah, but at least Adam Gase had some experience doing that. Joe Judge? Nope. The only experience he has is being a Bill Belichick buddy, a BBB. If Bill wanted to bring him back, I'm fine with that. I mean, I wouldn't have loved it because I don't really like Joe Judge, But okay, he's been here. He did a good job with the special teams while he was serving as that role. 
And obviously, the special teams was a problem last year. Cam McCord, he has four years experience. He, he was plucked out of a community college, and he has this role now that obviously that unit is not being coached up enough improperly. So fine, allow Joe to take over that. And if you want to, at that point, bring back in Bill O'Brien and, and re-infuse that Patriots knowledge tree that you've had in the past, I'd be okay with that. What people are not going to feel good about, what people are going to wave their finger in the air like Dikembe Mutombo used to do saying, uh-uh, is entrusting Mac Jones to Joe Judge after what he just did in New York with Daniel Jones, a first-round pick who absolutely stunk under Joe Judge's leadership, and I put that in air quotes. In the hot minute that he spent with the Giants, it was one embarrassment after another, whether it be his press conferences where he's claiming that they're building something, they're building a winning culture, which they obviously were not. In fact, they got worse over his tenure there. Or whether it be him claiming that players that were free agents or players that had left were clamoring and calling him, asking him to come back and how bad they wanted to play for him in this organization or the ludicrous in-game decisions like week 18 versus the Washington football team when his Giants were 4-12 and and he decided to run a quarterback sneak on third and nine from deep in his own territory because he was trying to give, as he explained, his punter more room to kick the football. Instead of giving it off to, I don't know, Saquon Barkley? Saquon Barkley may be a a better option than Jake Fromm on a quarterback sneak, even if you weren't trying to risk it and put it in the air. He just makes stupid decisions, and this is the guy that you're trusting with your franchise quarterback? Just logically ask yourself, does that sound like a good formula? Does that sound like a good idea? And now in consecutive years, we have Matt Patricia, who was an absolute embarrassment in Detroit. His players hated him, and he was out of there real quick. And now we've brought back Joe Judge this offseason, who his players didn't exactly love him either, and he was his own embarrassment. They rivaled each other for stupidity in in-game and post-game decisions. And these are the former staff members that Bill has decided to bring back to fill the voids that have been left by previous staff members leaving the organization. It doesn't exactly wreak confidence over here, I'll tell you that. And the structure of the coaching staff, it doesn't sound like it's getting any more clear and concise. You know, on defense, you have Gerard Mayo and Stevie Belichick, de facto this, de facto that. I don't think the defense clearly knows who to go to. And now on the offense, you're going to bring back Joe Judge and maybe promote a Nick Cayley or a Mick Lombardi to learn underneath them while Joe Judge calls plays. So you've decided to double down on the de facto side of things instead of making it clear and concise what the pecking order is on the coaching staff. That sounds like it's really going to be successful. It just absolutely pisses me off. It really does. It pisses me off. Because you're dinking around in areas you can't afford to dink around with. I mean, really, with roles that you can't afford to dink around with. Now, maybe Bill O'Brien was not interested in New England. I I believe he was. I personally believe that he was. I know Ian Rappaport had a report that said there was mutual interest between the two. I've also heard Burt Breer mention that Bill doesn't want to poach 
Bill O'Brien from Nick Saban because the two of them, meaning Bill and Nick, have an understanding not to poach each other's staff, which I think is stupid and ludicrous. If Bill O'Brien wants to be here in New England and the Patriots are interested in his services at the NFL level, which is where he ultimately wants to be, then let the guy go. Now, Nick Saban said the other day that he's gotten no indication from O'Brien that he was looking to move on from Alabama. I just take that with a grain of salt. I feel like that's a guy that wouldn't tell you the truth anyways. I mean, these guys don't exactly speak on the record about closed-door conversations they have with coaching candidates or players. So that means a little bit of nothing to me. If Bill O'Brien wants to get back to the NFL, and we know he does, he took an interview with the Jaguars this offseason, then it would only suit him to come back to New England and be an offensive coordinator in the NFL opposed to college. Okay, it just makes more sense. It's a better stepping stone to get to that next bigger job, to work with a young quarterback still in the developmental stages of his career, but had a good rookie year in an area and in a place where he's comfortable with a head coach that's familiar with him, an ownership group that knows him, respects him, likes him, with a young quarterback in place who has plenty of room to grow and by all accounts seems ready and willing to learn. And that's before even mentioning that with him in place, Josh McDaniel's gone and the coaching staff rather young with the exception of Matt Patricia, now Joe Judge, would be a logical replacement for Bill Belichick whenever he decides to step down if Bill O'Brien wanted to stay that long. Bill's 70 years old. O'Brien from the area has worked here with the Patriots. He had the most success out of anyone on the Bill Belichick coaching tree. If he stayed long enough, no promises made, but he'd be in line to be a successor to Bill Belichick. Now, it might be three, four, five years out, but he'd be in line. And in that time, he could reestablish himself with ownership, with the players on the team, reacclimate himself to the system in the area, and it would give him a leg up on anyone that would be interviewing for that position. We know that he joked around about it, at least it was reported by Seth Wickersham in his latest book, that O'Brien even joked around about trying to get fired from Houston when there was rumors that the Patriots may, just may, move on from Belichick and keep Brady instead. That was a whole thing in that book. But I don't know how serious he was about that or how serious the Patriots ever were. I don't believe they were that serious. But Bill O'Brien, even if it was half-jokingly, had an eye on the situation here in New England. So it tells you that he likes the area, likes the team, and at one point in his career wanted to be back with the team. I just expected there to be a better plan in place for when Josh McDaniel stepped away. The writing was on the wall. And I figured that Bill would have a better plan in place. Now maybe the plan was Joe Judge. Maybe him being out there was known and Bill felt comfortable bringing him back. Maybe they were just waiting to see if Bill O'Brien would be allowed to leave or some other things that may get worked out behind the scenes that we didn't know about. But if not, I would have liked to see them make a bigger push to keep Josh McDaniels. Not saying that there was anything they could do on the books that would really give Josh a reason to stay, but at least make an effort like they did in 2018 when they pulled him off the plane. They gave him a pay raise and probably a wink, wink, nod, nod that, oh yeah, we can't put it in writing, but if Bill steps away at any point here in the next few years and you're still around, we think of you for the job. We think you could make that head coaching position here if Bill steps down. All I'm saying is there could have been, there should have been more of an effort made to have something in place for when Josh leaves or to preserve Josh from leaving and keep him in the same role. This is just not adequate enough. All right, we're going to transition now to the Celtics or I should say the sizzling seas, who are winners of five straight, seven of the last eight, 12 
of the last 16. Now five games over 500 at 30 and 25. And believe it or not, fighting for a top six seed. And just five games back of the first place in the East. I mean, this is a team that's finally playing to their potential. You know, I still want to see them play some better teams, face some adversity without fighting each other. I do need to see more. I'm not completely buying in because I don't want to fall for the banana and the tailpipe. If you get that reference, very old. But I do believe that this team is playing different and there's been real progress. They're finally becoming the team that Ime Udoka talked about them being a gritty defensive team that shares the basketball, moves it, and doesn't hold on to it and play ISO hero ball. They're digging in defensively, they're being unselfish, and they're smothering teams that they should. And I think a lot of the conversation about this team has been they have the potential, they have the talent on the roster, they just never live up to that potential. And the past few weeks, three weeks now, They've actually lived up to what they are billed out to be, which is a team that can contend in the East, that should be there in the East, that should be winning these games and taking care of business the way that they finally seem to be taking care of business. Because it's not that they don't have enough to compete with Toronto, Chicago, Cleveland, or the 76ers. I think they should be better than all those teams. When you have Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, and the pieces that are around them, With the experience that they have around them this season, there's really not an excuse to not be one of those upper echelon Eastern Conference teams where there's really no juggernaut in the East right now. I think Miami's a better team than you. I trust the Bucs, and if the Nets are healthy, yeah, sure, they're better than you. But right now, there are a lot of things up in the air with injuries and guys missing time. So the fact that the Celtics are taking care of business right now, it shows me something. Like I said, I'm not completely buying in right now. But they've definitely been a different team. They've definitely been a team that's more enjoyable to watch and not quite that Pepto squad that I called them a few weeks back. So the trade deadline fast approaching. Okay, Thursday is that day. Here we are on Tuesday. Already substantial trades in the association today. Demona Sabonis going to the Kings. CJ McCollum going to the New Orleans Pelicans. Cavus Levert was traded a few days back. So are the Celtics going to be buyers in this whole Michigas or are they going to be sellers? We know they've been gauging the market to get value on some of their players here now and seeing what other options out there would cost. And for me, it comes down to something that's very simple. Do you believe in this team? And if you do, I don't want to hear anything about getting under the tax so you don't get the, the, the tax charges that comes with going over that line. I don't want to hear anything about that, okay? You should be competing for a championship. And if you're selling now, you're doing it because you don't believe in this team. You prioritize immediate success over long-term finances any day if you have a legitimate chance to win. They've consistently spent into that tax when they feel like they're legitimate contenders and can compete for a title. So if that's the case and you believe in this squad, add a reliable shooter. You've been waiting for signs of confidence from Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. Now's the best sign of that that you've gotten in a long time, maybe at all, period. The starting five is coming together. They're playing as well as they've played all season long. And this this core of Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, they're not going to be happy forever. So if you want to add to this team because you believe in it, now's the time to do it. Now's the time to do it. Well, they still want to be here and they're playing the right basketball. Now, I'm not ready to call them true contenders, but if you feel that way, you should be able to make a substantial move. 
Now, that may mean you have to trade away some pieces to get some pieces because that's how movement works. So Schroeder, yeah, probably out the door. Marcus Smart, that's another name, keeps popping up. I personally would sell high on Marcus Smart if there's a good return. I don't know that this team will. They seem to overvalue Marcus Smart and what he's worth. I know he's been a different player here since he returned on January 23rd from missing those six games, and he's been a completely different player. But I don't know that that doesn't have to do with the fact that his name is popping up and maybe it finally hit him in the face that, oh yeah, if I don't get my act right and change my game, they're going to ship me out of here. And I know I don't want that. So I think that there is an aspect of that. But if you believe in this team, you go for it. You go for it. What are you waiting for? This is the moment that you're waiting for. Jalen Brown's sixth year in the league. Jason Tatum's fifth year in the league. So now's the moment. And there you have it. Episode nine of Boston's Big Four in the books. Hope you enjoyed this week's episode. If you did and you want to hear more, please subscribe and download the show. Apple, Spotify, or Google. Go nuts. Do all three of them. That'd be terrific. Basically, you know, wherever you get your podcast, that's where it's available. New episodes every single Tuesday. Be sure to follow the social media. We have an IG, an FB, an email. We got it all. Thank you for loaning me your ears and your attention. I know it's valuable. Until next week, Boston, be well, be healthy, be real. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.